You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. Over like the last few weeks, as you probably are aware already, we've been doing a series on the Beatitudes, on these, these statements that Jesus makes right at the start of his ministry about being blessed. And a couple of weeks ago, Tyler shared about um, those who hunger and thirst with righteous, for righteousness. And Julian, um, last week, he shared about the merciful and this whole um, sort of idea of mercy, how we can tap into that. And this week, I want to move on to um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, which should be on the screen, and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Which is cool. This, this verse, um, for me, throws up a couple of questions um, that I really want to dig into a little bit or look into a little bit tonight. And those questions are, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And secondly, what does Jesus mean when he says that we will see God? And so I want to take a look at both of these questions over the course of like my talk this evening. But I think before we do that, we need to re-establish some things about what Jesus was doing with these statements that we refer to as the Beatitudes. What was Jesus talking about when he's generally talking about being blessed? You see, one thing that I've, that I've noticed over my many years on this earth... Um, <laughs> Why is that? That's not funny. I've been on. I've been alive for ages. I've been alive my whole life. Um, yeah, one thing that I've noticed um, is that statements like these, statements that Jesus makes that we call the Beatitudes, are a really good example. They're a case in point for people who seem to think that Jesus was a good moral teacher and nothing else. Um, because what we've done to a lot of these teachings is we, we've related them solely to ourselves. And what I mean is that when we read a statement like, blessed are the pure in heart, we think, oh, that's a really nice sentiment. Or, that's a standard I'd like to hold myself to. I would like to be pure in heart and I would like for people to know me as someone who is pure in heart. And so they become like these statements that Jesus makes that are, that are moral, that are ethical, um, and that are, that are good for us to, to know. We apply to them something which um, has been called an introspective conscious, conscience. Um, that is to say that we sort of make them all about us, all about self-improvement, all about how we can change ourselves and our own lives and we, we sort of introspectively view ourselves and that's the lens that we use to look at these statements that Jesus makes which is not in and of itself a necessarily wholly bad thing that was a long sentence um, but it's something that I want to challenge a little bit and the first sort of question I want to look at with, with, with this is is Jesus talking about ethics or is he talking about embrace? 
You see, because if we read these um, beatitudes, if we read these statements as ethical prescriptions, um, things that that are ethically good, and generally sort of good things for us to to hear, they can only be effective in human terms. They can only be effective on a human level. What I mean is that these beatitudes, they become principles by which we should live, or instructions on living the right way. Um, And change is only experienced on what's called a horizontal level. So, between human to human. So, for example, um, if I'm merciful to Julian, then Julian shows me mercy and we can be great friends. And that's about as far as it would go were these just ethical teachings. They're one di- it's one-dimensional change that's like person to person. And the problem with that concept is that if you're using these beatitudes to say that Jesus was someone who just taught ethics or someone who was just a good moral teacher, you have to discount or diminish all the vertical rewards that he talks about. So every second half of each of these verses, um, the reason why we're blessed, you would have to just remove that and just say, well, there's nothing I can really say about that because Jesus was just talking about ethics or he was just talking about morals. If Jesus had said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will have great friendships, then that's fair enough. That would be, I could concede that Jesus is talking simply in terms of ethics or morality. But the problem is that we have to deal with the fact that Jesus says the reward for being pure in heart is seeing God. And that's embracing the Father. If this was just ethics, we wouldn't see this reward. Yet Jesus says that this is all about an encounter, an encounter with God. In these statements, we experience the grace of God and we encounter Christ. Jesus is not simply concerned with ethical teaching, although that is something that he is generally concerned with. He is concerned with the way in which God is embracing his people and he's teaching us in that way. This affects both how we read and how we apply Jesus' teaching to our, to our own lives. See, for so long, and like in so many circumstances, I think Christians have got it wrong. And I don't want to paint us all, tar us all with, the, wrong, with the, the same brush. That's the word, isn't it? That's the phrase. Um, I don't want to say, you know, we've all, just, we've all just messed up and this is, we need to just change and get it right. But in so many circumstances, we have. We've got it wrong because we've been confused and we've thought that our mandate was morality when in fact we were called to bring a message. So yes, it's a message that we actively participate in and we bring about the message of the kingdom of God, but we've forgotten this. We've seen ourselves as bringers of morality and not bringers of a message. I mean, should we as Christians be the sole authority on morals? That kind of puts us in a difficult situation. When you hear about people feeling judged by Christians, um, 
I f- well, I find it interesting that Jesus never seemed to do that. Never seemed to be that kind of person who was going around judging people and saying, well, I've got this great moral teaching. I live to a pristine moral standard, so I can tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And that's how it is. It's, it doesn't seem to be like that with, with Jesus. You know, I've, at times, um, I've, been, I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of seeing myself as, as better than other people because of the moral standards that I assume that God holds me to. So if I live in a certain way, it's like, well, you know, I don't do that. I don't do this. This is not something. So, so such a body has a problem with, um, with something that I don't struggle with at all. And therefore, I go, well, they're not really living to God's standard. And I sort of like, I then sort of get a, a sort of obscure feeling of like one-upmanship over them. It's like, I'm, I'm a better person because I'm pleasing God more. And I'm obeying the morals of God more than they are. But that can actually be detrimental, especially in our relationships. Especially if you're friends with someone and you and they think, well, they're just judging me because they don't do this or they do, don't do that or the other. See, if we were trying to live up to God's standards, actually, we all fall short. And I'm pretty sure that we all know that. Hopefully we do. If not, I'm telling you now, you fall short. <laughs> just so I know. Just so you know, yeah. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. Um, the truth is that we're not about morality. We're about message. And that message is a message of hope for the hopeless. Freedom for the captive, sight for the blind, love for the unloved, and grace for the outcast. Because we can declare to people that in Christ there is no condemnation. The message of grace ought to be on our lips, should be on our lips. And it's a message that comes from the mouth of God. And that's what cleanses our hearts, and that's how we know that God is cleansing our hearts. Because it's out of the overflow of our hearts that the mouth speaks. And if the mouth speaks grace, we know that God's cleansing that, if that makes sense. One thing I do want to slightly caveat this with um, is... By saying something that um, one of my lecturers used to say, and you'll probably know him, um, don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> Which is to say, I'm not saying as that, you know, we're, we're not about morality, so just go and do whatever you want. It's fine. Just live however you mess as many people's lives up as you want. It's absolutely, it's cool. God's okay with it. None of that. I'm not saying any of that. In the sense that Paul, um, the apostle, wrote, you know, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means, he says. And it's like proper firm, like, by no means, do not. You know, that's, that's not the point. The point is not, oh, well, we've got license to just go and live as we please them. The point is that transformation has occurred inside of us. And it's not something that we could achieve by our own means or by our own merit, but it's something that has actually transformed us it's no longer I that live but it's Christ that lives in me all that sort of stuff all that language that Paul sort of tries to unpack as as he's writing it's all it's all sort of like actually we're bringing a message and the message is not you must do this you must do that you must do the other 
it's not. Um, I've heard in the past, um, and many people, many people have said this, and I, and it comes from a from a good place and from a from a good heart that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving Earth. But in reality, it's not instructions. It's life changing truth about who God is, and that's the message that we bring. It's not instructions on how to live correctly, although there is ele- there are elements of that, and that's part of it. But the fact remains that we fall short, we mess up, we will mess up, we continually mess up. Um, and in a sense, that's okay, because we know that God's transformed us and is transforming us, and will renew us in the end. So, purity of the heart. What's Jesus saying? Well, as we've seen in pretty much every conversation about these statements, about these Beatitudes, Jesus likes to turn things upside down. He likes to turn things on its head and say, the kingdom is not how you think kingdoms normally work. They work a bit differently, or a lot differently. And there's a context against which this kind of statement works and makes perfect sense. In, within the first century. And that, that statement is set against the backdrop of a system of purity. So in the ancient Jewish world, in the first century, Jewish worship was built upon purity. And that's what Jesus is challenging here. He wasn't saying purity is not important. He was saying... It's vitally important, but you've missed the point if you think it's all about ritual cleansing. So on the one hand, in Jesus' day, designating cleanness and uncleanness was very important. Purity rules had a place for everyone, and they put everyone in their place. So in a in sense of religious society... It worked very well because you knew who was clean, you knew who was unclean, you knew sort of the levels of of the social sort of system within Judaism. So in that sense, it worked. Certain things you did made you impure, and they weren't always sinful. Um, they just resulted in impurity. So, for example, something like preparing a body for burial after they died. Not just like whilst they were alive. That would probably be sinful, actually. Um, No. If somebody had died and you were preparing their body for burial, that would leave you impure. And this impurity could be removed by various systems that were in place. So some of them involved the passing of a certain amount of time, and that was sometimes combined with making sacrifices, and that was sometimes combined with ritual cleansing, so like having a certain number of baths in certain ways and stuff. All very fun stuff. Um, and the other thing about impurity was that you could catch it. It was like a virus. That you could, If you came into contact with someone who was impure or unclean, you could c- catch their uncleanness. So, like, if you see um, stories in the Bible about um, people who were unclean and people who were um, impure, especially people who had skin diseases and stuff like that... Um, if you came into contact with them, you would become impure to yourself. So 
these people with their skin diseases were declaring that they were unclean and they're like, no, no one come near me, I'm unclean. And um, no one would go near, near them because they didn't want to catch their uncleanness. It wasn't even necessarily that they didn't want to catch their skin disease, which probably they didn't want to catch, I, I guess, because you wouldn't really, would you? But they would catch their uncleanness, they would catch their impurity. And so this whole system, it breeds disunity and breeds segregation within the society. So it makes sense for purity to be a good thing to work towards. But what if you couldn't be made clean by your actions? Well, in a world where socially you were classified as pure or impure on the basis of either your behaviour or even something that happened to you that was no fault of your own, Jesus affirmed that purity was a product of what you were like on the inside. So in um, the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus asks what, um, Jesus is asked, sorry, why his disciples eat with unclean hands? In other words, why are your disciples ignoring these purity laws and these rules that we have? And Jesus' response in verse 15 is to say that there's nothing that you put inside you that makes you unclean, but the things that come out from within make you unclean. And that from withinness, he's talking about the heart as he mentions. If you read on in chapter 7, he talks about the heart and how all this unclean stuff can come out of your heart. In essence, Jesus is saying that it's not at all about these rituals or rules that, that have been put in place. But it's something much deeper, something which truly makes you who you are. He's saying that although society thinks that impurity is contagious... Jesus is here to say that purity is contagious. That, not, that impurity is not what's contagious, but purity is contagious. And Jesus sort of wanted to spread that purity around. That's why he ate with the impure and he wasn't bothered about it. That's why he healed those with skin diseases and, and he wasn't bothered about it. He knew that the reality is that purity is contagious. That's what catches there's a verse um, in the Old Testament about iron sharpening iron. It's, a, it's this whole concept of, of actually purity catches. And that's what Jesus was, was talking about. There's one thing about purity that I've not really covered. And that's that purity is not something that you can add on to something to make it more pure. Um, if you want to gain purity, the only option is to remove impurity so that what remains is pure, without blemish. And that which remains was always there in the first place. It's kind of like this. Does anyone have any gold jewellery or a gold watch or a gold ring or anything like that? Anyone have that? Hold it up. Give it, give it to me, and I'll sell it. Not, not, not that. Cash, cash for gold. 
Cash for gold. Um, I shouldn't be. Other gold recycling manufacturers are available um, if anyone's listening on the podcast. As we know, gold comes from the ground. It's like a science lesson. It's extracted from rock. Um, and after it's mined, it goes through this, this whole process. I actually looked up this process on, um, on the internet and I was like amazed at how many different things that they do to, to actually extract the gold from the rock and purify it and all this stuff. It's really cool. Um, it's not that cool. You shouldn't probably not just not do that in your free time. You probably can find something better to do in your free time. It's extracted from the rock and mined, and, and there's this extraction process from the bits of rock that it's sort of with, um, and then a process called smelting to produce um, these low purity gold bars. So they sort of they melt it all down, they extract it, they put it in these gold bars, and, but those are still low purity, and then it gets sent off to all these places all around the world, presumably, um, and it gets um, refined. But the point is that it's, it was always was a gold product and it remains a gold product. But the aim is to purify by removing all the impurities. And that's the only way to get pure gold. This, this refining process involves removing all the impurities and leaving the gold that remains. And that's why you get your different carrot ratings if you're interested. Um, and so what remains is the gold that they form then into gold bars or into jewellery and so on. But the point that I want to make out of that analogy is that during the process, the gold is always pure. It's mixed with impurities but its basic default state is pure. And I think that that is very similar to the statement that Jesus makes. That purity is a statement of reality, not a reward for effort. To be pure in heart is to be clean and to be restored. It's not something we can earn or that we can cling on to by doing the right things or following ethical teachings. It's, it's a statement of reality. It's God revealing his face to us in our weakness. God embraces us when we recognise that we can't go it alone. To be pure in heart then is not to be all sweet and innocent and it's not an ideology that we can lose if we do something wrong. It's, it's not a statement of a particular ethic. To be pure in heart means to have an undivided consciousness. No longer torn apart, but made whole. And you see, after hungering and thirsting for righteousness, as we discussed with Pilate, and the merciful lifestyle which results, as we discussed with Julian last week, God creates in us a new nature. An undivided, made whole consciousness that we are able to catch a glimpse of God. It's all about restoration. And it's in admitting that we need restoring, that God embraces us. 
And it's in restoration that we'll see God. So when we ask what Jesus meant when he said, the pure in heart will see God, we can begin to know who it is he's talking about. The pure in heart are like those who are poor in spirit, the ones who admit that they can't go it alone and they cry out to God for his restoration, his renewal. They're the one they're the ones whom God embraces. And I was thinking about this and I I kind of thought I kind of thought it goes a little bit like this, so you'll have to follow me as I jump around a couple of scriptures, but that's, that's cool. I'm sure you can keep up. I believe in you. Um, in Matthew um, chapter 7, um, verse 21 to 23, which is towards the end of like the Sermon on the Mount, but still in this, within the same epically long sermon, which has so much, so many levels to it, Jesus says that not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is to say that not everyone will see God. And he goes on to say that those who will see God will be the ones who do the will of the Father. And so it got me thinking, like, what is, what's the will of the Father? What's he getting at? And Jesus refers to this will of the Father. And I think that, I think that it's a threefold will that is laid out in Micah 6, verse 8, which is like a famous passage, and it's pretty cool. Famous verse, even. It's pretty cool. Um, and this threefold will of God is repeated in the Beatitudes that we've discussed over the last three weeks. And that's the will of the Father that results in us seeing God. So let me explain how I think this all works. So in Micah 6, verse 8, um, we have the following statement. What does the Lord require of you? but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so how do we apply these three um, statements to the three Beatitudes we've looked at over the last couple of weeks? Well, I think it goes like this. To act justly is something which naturally results from hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Righteousness in the Bible is strongly aligned with God's statement of justice over his people. It's all from the same family of words. And it's, it's, God, it's God's verdict of saying, you're not guilty. That's what we hunger and thirst for. And perhaps to act justly is to, is to be called to do the same. To love mercy... Well, that I think is almost clear enough that it doesn't need explanation. We're to love mercy and, as Jesus said, the merciful are blessed because they're shown mercy. I mean, that whole thing is encapsulated in in that verse. And so then, to walk humbly with your God. Well, walking humbly with your God requires that we stand with an undivided conscience. That we say we can't do it on our own. And we ask God to restore us, to create in us a clean heart, and that we therefore walk in purity, hand in hand with the Father. This is what the Lord requires, and this is a state that Jesus says will be rewarded by us seeing God. It's like a logical consequence. In the 
Greek language, which is what the New Testament is wrote, written, wrote in. Written in. <laughs> I can't even do English, never mind Greek. Um, the New Testament is written in Greek, ancient Greek. And they have all sorts of different tenses in the same way that we have tenses. Um, so the past, present, future tense, all that stuff is going on. Um, and the, these statements, um, these rewards are in the future tense as they are in our English language. So they will see God. Is a, The will element is a future sort of thing. But this future tense in the Greek calls to our attention not the fact that something will happen later, but actually that, that as a necessary re- consequence of what went before, this will result. That it will necessarily follow if the condition is met. So in that sense, the pure in heart are blessed, for it follows as a logical consequence that they will see God. That makes sense. Jesus says then that this vision of God follows as a consequence of a heart that's been made whole. We will no doubt be embraced by God in the end, but even now, I believe that we've been embraced by God. As he stands with us and he, as he leads us in the, the truth and the reality of his grace. Tom, I don't know if you want to get up and uh, play something. That'd be cool. So as we, as I sort of come to a close, and as we sort of close um, this evening, I want to ask you if your heart has been made pure, not by your own sort of efforts to make it pure, but by God removing those impurities. Have you come to a place where you can say that you've asked God to remove those impurities, to make you whole again, and to say, actually, God, you know what, I can't do this on my own? Because the good news is that there's no amount of impurity that is too much for God to remove. And if you ask him, he will do it. He's not got too much on his plate. Maybe you're here right now and you feel that sort of tugging on your heart for the first time. That God's saying, actually all this stuff I want to remove. All this stuff that you're like, you're like the gold that's in the rock and I want to make you shine like a, like a gold ring or a gold watch or, or a really expensive iPhone. iWatch. iWatch? Apple Watch. God wants to remove it. God's saying, I want to remove that impurity. I want to restore you. I want to make you whole. I want to put you back to that person that I created in the first place. That person who was perfect, that I perfectly formed, that I set out what they would be like, what they would look like. I don't want you to be tarnished by all this other stuff. But I want you to reflect me purely as as you are my child. And your response ought to be to say, okay, God, I want you to cleanse me. And it's as simple as that. There's nothing more more complex than that. 
or maybe, maybe in the past, you've you've been made pure. Maybe in the past, you've you've come to that place and you've been like, God, just restore me, God. You know, be my savior, all that stuff. But maybe you've got some. Maybe you feel like something's getting in the way of you walking humbly with your God. Maybe you feel like you're hand in hand with God on the one hand, but then you're being pulled back in the other direction on the other. Maybe if that's you, that it would be a good idea to call on God to remold you tonight, to break down all that stuff. to reshape you and to refine you in the fire God wants to work in your life you know when they're working with with these metals with this golden and everything they can't do it when it's hard they can't do it when it's cold they can only do it when it's when it's hot and when it's malleable when it's melted down. And maybe there's maybe there's an element of that that, that we need to get in, into our own lives tonight. Maybe we need to understand that actually God wants to melt down our hearts. He wants to melt down all that stuff that's and he wants to restore it. He wants to make it whole. He wants to build it up again into the perfect form of purity that he designed for you in the, in the first place. Maybe being, maybe the pure in heart are the ones who say, actually God, just reshape me, fix me, put me back together again. Get rid of all that stuff that shouldn't be there and, and are never meant to be there in the per- first place. Get rid of all that stuff that I'm carrying with me. Actually, God, I give it over to you. And I want you to remould me and I want you to shape me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.